Welcome to Becoming Parents Podcast. I'm your host, Jen Taylor Campbell. I'm a birth and bereavement doula, as well as an adoption and surrogacy doula. Doula means woman who serves. And although I love happy births, adoptions, and surrogacy, the pro bono part of my business is in bereavement. I'm here to help you. I'm also mom of 18, yes, 18 children, with over 30 years experience in the trenches as a mom myself. We have a huge blended family, and I've also experienced the loss of our adult son. Remember, give a shout out to those brave enough to share their stories on how they have become parents. Let's dive in. Welcome to Becoming Parents. I am on take two with my daughter, Casey. The first podcast, we talked about your experience in foster care up until you were about 16 and got pregnant. We're going to continue this. You got pregnant at 16 and I remember you calling me and there were, I, I don't remember if it was, I'm remembering it as two separate phone calls and conversations. And I, I don't remember where you were living at that point. But the first conversation when you were pregnant, I remember saying, well, there are three options. Abortion, that. adoption, and becoming a parent. And I am never going to tell you abortion is the right decision because I'm right. personally against that. I'm also not in your shoes. So I wouldn't judge you for making that decision, but it wasn't one that I wanted. And I remember saying, you grew up part of the time in my home and you know it, it was a much better place. You also know at your age and with your experience and where you're at in your life, I, was I remember feeling I was very upfront and I wanted to do it in a very loving way, but sure. the chances of you being a good parent to this baby are very low and your life's over. It's, it's done. And that, that's a good and a bad thing, but you don't know how much your life is going to be over till you're in it. And then it's kind of too late. This is another human being. And I was encouraging you, if you could give this child a home, like you had us knowing that it was in this baby's best interest, that is the option that I'm really hoping that you do. And I, you called me from an abortion clinic crying, saying, I'm sitting in the waiting room and I can't do it. And I said, then you're down to two choices. Yep. And it was several months later when you were pregnant. And of course, look, I've been pregnant. I know what your body's going through. I know how cute babies are and how much, you know, there are some people in your life or it's glamorized on social media and through shows and how cute they are. You're going to have a baby shower. You're going to get stuff. You're going to, like I had one biological mom pregnant I had two, two of three of her kids that are all counted in my 18 and she got pregnant and she said, well, the state will pay for me to have a baby, but they won't pay for an abortion. And I was just like, what? So that was her thinking about like why you would have a baby instead of aborting it. Now I'm again, I'm not for abortion, but like there are many different things other than getting paid to have a baby, Medicaid paying to have a baby and being on welfare and abortion. Like there's, there's a lot of gray area. And I know that you called me a third time and you said, mom, I, I'm not going to give her up. And I'm like, well, like, look, you've just whittled down your three choices. So you're going to be a mom. And I know I told you, I will never raise my grandkids. 
<laughs> which at that point didn't mean that much to you still trying to get you to <laughs> I will do my best to support you in every way that I can but I unless you die I will never raise my grandkids and I set that boundary when you were pregnant and that look yeah. I'll help you in every way that I can without raising them that's usually not financial because I mean, I'm, I'm raising a lot of kids also. I don't have the income to just be able to help financially. I also don't know that that's always the best way, but I'll do everything I can to help you. But like, you're now a mom and bend over and relax because you do not understand what's coming. So you take me through your perspective on that. Um. So I was just not in a really great place when I found out I was pregnant. I was actually had done, I was a stripper, did drugs, all sorts of stuff, um, just surviving in the lifestyle that I was in. Um, Alana's dad was just not in the right place either. He was much older than me. Um, we got pregnant at the very end of our relationship. We were already on our way out the door. Uh, I got pregnant and basically I told him, hey, either we work this out and be a family, which meant getting our stuff together and getting healthy and taking care of this child or you need to leave. And he left, uh, that day, the same day I told him. And, uh, I was alone basically at that point. I didn't have any support, uh, at my, at the house that I was in. Um, it was a, it was pretty lonely. I, I really considered an abortion um, for a while. Um, and then through my pregnancy, I considered uh, adoption. Um, and I really leaned towards adoption for a while. And I kept thinking about how Alana would have a better life than what I could give her. And I wanted to do that for her. Um, about seven months in, I had even looked at some homes for her, like on the line, online and stuff. But about seven months in, I told my mom, my biological mom, that I wanted to put her up for adoption. And my biological mom told me that she would never talk to me again. And that it would hurt her. She had given up a child, so she had known the pain that it caused. And it was just something not that I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to do. I wasn't allowed to give her up. And I didn't know otherwise. I didn't know that I had an option without her permission. Or a lot of different things would have happened. Um, so once I gave birth to Alana, which it's her 17th birthday today. Today, as we're recording, it's her 17th birthday today. Yay. Yeah. Um, I gave birth to her and her dad was in jail. Uh, my mom and my best, my biological mom, and my best friend were there. And I had no clue what I was doing. I had absolutely no idea I was having a baby. I mean, it was in me, but I just didn't understand. After I had her, my biological mom and my friend left and it was just me. And 
Alana. And in that moment, I realized that I was not gonna put her through what I went through. And my whole life changed in that moment. About three weeks, four weeks after she was born, the reality of everything had really been hitting me. And I wanted to put her up for adoption again. My mom said I couldn't, but I knew, I knew that would have been the best thing for her, for sure. And I wanted to, I just thought that I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to, that this was now my responsibility and that I had to take care of her. And I loved her. Uh, mm -hmm very much I loved her enough to know that I was not what was best and look Casey it's not because you haven't been a, a good mom it's because parenting is so hard and you were so young so and young. you weren't in a space I wasn't encouraging you to do adoption because I thought you're not going to be a good mom it was your age and your situation and even if you encouraged me to keep Alana I knew, given the circumstances of being in foster care with you, what a child required. And I knew that I did not have it. I knew that it, I, I don't think it's it. possible to have it. I mean, I don't right. think we have it when we're in our 20s and it's planned and we're married and it's a good situation. I mean, like there's nothing that really can prepare you. There's no book. There's no nothing. I mean we're all doing this on a wing and a prayer, hoping that we do a good job and feeling like you fail miserably. And that's in the best situation. Yeah. That's what I knew. Yeah. I remember when Alana was like five months old and I had turned 18. My like goal in that moment was I can go be with her now. <laughs> like that was the thing. But then there was Alana's dad who made yep. that not possible. And from that moment, the second you got pregnant and had more rights, but you didn't really realize it. And it's sort of a gray area, but from when you got pregnant at 16 until 18, more could have been done. <clears throat> I would have had you ask him in prison to, to sign uh, termination of parental rights. And those weren't conversations you and I were able to have. Um, so that he was out of the picture because that set you up having a biological dad that had some parental rights for mm -hmm. the lat for the next 17 years has set you up for wanting to move down close to me and not being able to because now there's also three other kids with two other dads right, right? so right. now once once a biological dad was involved and termination or guardianship like his, he could have given full guardianship to you or termination, and that would have allowed you to do whatever you wanted. Right. But because you and I weren't able to have those conversations and you didn't know, and look, you were with your mom who was giving you a lot of information that you felt like you didn't have the choice not to follow. And mm -hmm. I wasn't even there having conversations with you like, that's actually not true. And she's not allowed. That also is a really, what a tough situation for you and I to both be in. So that was it. That was the, that was the end of you being able to change your life and move down to be with me so that I could help you and 
<clears throat> take me through though you you parented your daughter and you've always you've called me more about that i remember one time you calling me saying like she's two and it's so hard and you made it look easy and i was like <laughs> no <laughs> your perception was so young you had no idea what it was like to have toddlers trust me it was never easy and i remember laughing with you and having that conversation and like yeah buckle up you know um <laughs> You eventually moved out on your own and then you had your second child. Yeah, so, I was actually I was actually 17 when I moved out on my own. I lied on my application okay. to I lied on my apartment application to get into a place and thankfully the person that was renting was not very smart or just didn't really care, but I moved out at 17, almost 18 and got into my own little efficiency and got my driver's license and took my CNA class and did all of that with Alana. Which, I mean, I'm so proud of you. Look, I know I'm the one that was like, adoption's the best situation, best in this situation. When you decided not to make that choice, I still have been a hundred percent behind you mm -hmm. and parenting's really hard. And I think most parents do feel like they fail every day. And I've always been exceptionally proud of you as a parent. That doesn't mean I don't see the struggle and that it's hard or that you could have made better choices. Me too. Like welcome to that club of screwing up motherhood 101 all day, every day, because we right. all do it. So I am so proud of you. Um, how old was, and you did a lot in there for yourself that were really positive things, got a better job and you were really trying the best to raise her really well. <clears throat> how mm -hmm. old was she when Brooklyn was born? She was three. three. Yeah. Yeah. And now also one of the issues is that even if you don't want to be part of a system from the time you were 10, you have been part of the system. And as a low income single mom with a dad who's not involved, even though you got your CNA, you got your driver's license, you did all these things that I'm so proud of that you really worked hard and you were doing a better job. You were still, it's very hard to not stay locked into a system. And also that creates, in my opinion, that creates a mentality in you that unless you really recognize it and want to break out of, it's really hard to break out of that low income, needing assistance using the the system as a kind of a crutch not even in a bad way that is not a put down in any way shape or form it's just once you're locked in there they don't make it easy yeah, to, get to get out right right oh. and and right. you're in a different mentality you also i think tell me if i'm wrong you have certain beliefs about yourself so you're choosing men that aren't good men right now right. you've established your own mentality about how you feel about your own self-worth. Right. Yeah, I definitely did not feel like a good person. I didn't feel like I was, I mean, I was on public assistance and I mean, I still, I still had that drive in me though. The one that was implanted in me. I right. still had that drive that I can do this. I can change my life around. I can give my kids a better life. So, I mean, that stayed yep. with me from climbing that hill till then. I mean, even, you know, even now 
Um, but yeah, I definitely felt like trash. Like I just wasn't good enough. Um, the system is there to help you and support you. So you did the right thing. It's just also, again, just like this, just like OCS. I mean, it's a super broken, imperfect system that also doesn't help those people who want to work out of it to a better life. It doesn't facilitate that. And it, the system itself is sending you messages that you're not worth it and that you're not of enough value. Um, it's 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 absolutely what you should have done. You use the system in the way that it was designed to be used. It just it's a just also it's another broken system. It is, and it took a really, really, really long time for me to get off. You ended up being in the system on your own, so you kind of got out of foster care, but never really did because OCS was always part of your life because you were a foster child. You had your first daughter, and then you were in the welfare system on your own, using it for exactly what you were supposed to be doing, using it for. Mm-hmm. How did you get out of that system? Because I know you got your CNA license, and you got your own place when you were 18, how did you get out of the system and move forward? And then obviously you have four kids and we've only talked about one. <laughs> so it was really, really difficult getting out of this, uh, out of, off of public assistance and getting onto my own two feet. They definitely didn't make it easy. You had to really follow by the rules and stuff. So I had to be very careful uh, with my money. And I mean, like I'd only get like $850 a month. Uh, which is not very much. I basically could pay my rent and my bills and maybe had like $200 left over and that was an inefficiency. Um, So um, basically I just utilized every single um, every single like advantage, like anything that was put in front of me, if I seen it, that it could help me um, like succeed my goals. I used it, I, I, I used it fully, um, you know, like they had a mascot bus. Well, I couldn't afford gas, but I could afford $2 bus ticket. Um, so I used that. Um, the school system in Alaska really helped me get graduated. Mm. Um, so they really went out and went above and beyond. They started a daycare so that they could take my daughter um while I was in school she was one of the first kids in the daycare well she was the first kid in the daycare um so uh I was really thankful for that but I it was just a lot of work and um it took a a lot of a different maneuvering to get out I just started to work and I had to line things up to kind of make it work um like when I started my job, I had to make sure that it started like a week before um, my like benefits would go so that I had enough money to get into the next month mm-hmm. uh, so that I could afford my gas and all of that. Mm-hmm. And when I got off, everything was so shaky and rocky because I couldn't immediately go to full-time position. And my schedule was so inconsistent that I had to call out because I had Alana and I couldn't work certain shifts. So 
it was really rocky for a really long time. I love that you took advantage of everything that was in front of you and you advocated for yourself. And that becomes a lot different. I know in your pregnancy and stuff, not advocating for yourself because you can't, you don't think you can. And you kind of hit this point where you think, nah, I'm just not, it's not just myself anymore. It's my daughter and there's got to be another way. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I get it. I get about the timing and all that stuff. And so that it's really huge. It's huge to be on the system and use it for what it's for and then work really hard to get off. They don't set it up well to do that. No. And I'm, I think it's so great that you use it for exactly what you were supposed to and then got yourself off. It is a massive timing game. It is very, very difficult. Um, I remember specifically a caseworker saying, wow, you're, you're going to be one of those that actually makes the system work for them. And I was like, I have no other option. It's going to work for my daughter and for me so that we can live a life. And, you know, when they realized, when, when the system realized how hard I was willing to work to create a better life for my daughter, they, they, I built a trust with my caseworkers and they really went to bat for me realistically. They really did. I had one caseworker that, I mean, she turned my whole life around. She, she did everything she could up until the point they actually, I think they fired her because of how hard she worked for me in that system. Um, You know, trying to get funding for my car that continuously broke down she was fighting hard for that. And if I wouldn't have gotten that funding, I would have never been able to go to work. And she made it happen. And, um, you know, and then she made it halfway happen. And then she worked, you know, she, she worked with me and taught me like ways to go around um, and, and come up with other solutions. Um, and it was, if it wasn't for the caseworkers that I had, I'm not sure if I would have been so successful. I know I would have been successful, but I know that it would have been a lot more difficult and I may have at some point felt defeated, but there were times I felt defeated. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, that's normal. How old was Alana when Brooklyn was born? She was three. So let's talk about that because you're still a human being wanting mm-hmm. a relationship. And I mean, I see how much you, how far you've come and how great you should feel about yourself as a very biased mom. Um, you didn't necessarily feel that way about yourself, even though you're making all these gains, you're doing such an incredible job. So again, when you aren't, don't feel great about yourself, you don't choose great relationships. Let's right. talk about having Alana and then the boys. And, and how the system, because obviously your life changes and kids change. And so utilizing the system benefits becomes a priority. Yep. Got pregnant with Brooklyn and I actually had been a CNA at that point. And I was right when I got pregnant with Brooklyn, I was having major car issues (laughs) and Brooklyn's dad was a mechanic and he was also one of my brother's best friends. Um, So it kind of, I was like, Hey, I need some help. You need rides to your classes. And I thought, you know, oh, here's this guy that's, he's bettering his life. He's going to treatment. He's doing all these classes. Like, this is good. And it was pretty instant. 
of a relationship. Um, so basically, I I was kind of like, I don't know, I was kind of like focused on building a family and like furthering my career. Um, I didn't really expect to get pregnant with Brooklyn. It was kind of really quick and um, I actually had broken up with him and planned to, um, I was, sorry, I was accepted at Providence Hospital for an internship or like a bridge to CNA RN program. Um, I had applied, I lived in Houston, so that was really far away from Anchorage and I had never lived in the big city, um, but I was about to do this and go carless with my daughter to Anchorage and I put the down payment on my apartment in Anchorage. Um, I had everything ready. I was going to Anchorage and then I was pregnant. <laughs> and so I stayed and let go of everything that I had, you know, coming forward, which was, I wanted to have a family and um, it just didn't work out. Um, some people just didn't want to go forward for real and I needed to there's something you, in my soul driving me you gave up that opportunity and you ended up having Brooklyn so how did your life move forward after that uh the relationship got really 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 uh abusive and uh there was a lot of substance abuse uh with her father and um, our house had flooded and me and the girls were like stuck in a hotel room alone for hours and we didn't really have any food. Um, and Brooklyn's dad was drinking and uh, he, I remember he specifically came home and or to the hotel and as soon as he walked in the door he was drinking and my girls looked up at him and they were so excited to see him but he was already drinking and at that moment I knew that this was not the life that my daughters needed uh the next day he broke my phone broke my cell phone uh my charger and took the car seats from the truck that had very little gas and took the keys for the truck so I couldn't leave. Um, I actually ended up calling public assistance that day and I told them what happened. And they set it up. I actually called just the general public assistance office, the ladies in the front, and I told them everything that has happened. They set it up and my caseworker and uh, they set it up to where I would go to the domestic violence shelter. Mm -hmm. um, they had a cab come out and get me and the girls. <clears throat> they brought car seats. And then they took us to the domestic violence shelter. Um, it wasn't until later that I had realized that the ladies at the front office at the at public assistance had paid for my cab mm. uh, to get me and the girls out of there. And so I... I went to the shelter and I graduated high school because I graduated late. At that point, I graduated high school. I did all my classes. I got into an apartment and it was just me and my girls. 
for a long time. And I, I started working uh, at an assisted living home and it was right down the road. I had to make choices, like I had to leave Alana and Brooke. Um, Alana was like eight or so at that point. I had neighbors that were right next door, but I had to leave them to work uh, with a cell phone. And I didn't realize at that point that they were so little that they shouldn't, you know, they shouldn't really have been left alone. They handled it and it was, I don't believe it was unsafe, but it, looking back now, it's not something I would ever do again. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, I had lots of neighbors that knew them and they had a cell phone and stuff, but I had to work and I didn't have any other options. Um, my boss did let them come to my work for a long time. Um, so that was really good because I just, I always felt really guilty if I had to leave them. And so it was becoming a problem. Um, and my boss was just like, well, just bring them and, you know, you can put them to sleep upstairs and it'll be okay. And that lasted for a while. I think this is another great situation. I want to point out first, when you're in a domestic violence situation, there are people you can call and there, there are ways out of that. And there are people that work for these um, places that will bend over backwards to help you. We have the same situation here. And I'm really grateful because you know, everything in your biological family and in your situation, you could have remained like a lot of people do. I'm very proud of you for making those tough phone calls and, and depending on that. Yeah. It was definitely like my whole life. Domestic violence was definitely always yes. part. And that was just not something I was willing to allow around my daughters and I didn't want I didn't want to lose my kids to OCS either right um, and want them to go through anything that I went through you were in the CNA program and you're living together and you you that lasted for quite a while that was a relatively happy I know there was a lot there's still stress there's still issues but I know you really liked mm -hmm. working with uh elderly Mm -hmm. and still. yes yes I know and I I think it's kind of like junior high like if you really like working with certain ages you definitely should because not everybody can do it and you just love it and I that's something I've loved watching is how much you love that you were alone for a while how long before you met um the boy's dad and then things change again. Cause you still really want, I think a lot of us that come out of dysfunctional situations, cause I was exactly the same way. We really know, I, we like, I believed that having a beautiful functioning family and relationship was possible. I didn't know how I muddled through mm -hmm. a lot of that, but really, I mean, I really wanted a family and that life. And so did you. And, but we kind yeah. of, fumble so yeah you don't have the tools really to put it all right. together right how long were um, you alone with the girls uh it was about two years mm -hmm. um before I even started dating again really I mean there was a one man that I kind of dated 
but he was more of a friend and kind of a mentorship. He was a nurse and that was kind of my goal. And so I was learning a lot from him and he was teaching me a lot. And um, that was a good learning experience for me. And um, so, yeah, I met the boys' dad when Brooklyn was, well, the first time I met him when he was, when she was three, but we didn't, we didn't stay in, we didn't get in a relationship uh, for longer than like two weeks or so. And then we didn't talk again for a year. So, um, yeah. <laughs> So you, you, <laughs> you got into a relationship and had the, your first son. Mm -hmm. How so, old was, how old was Brooklyn and Alana then when she, Brooklyn he, was six? Okay. When I got they pregnant, were Chase. six and nine. Okay. Yep. So you get pregnant with Chase and how long was it before the youngest was born? Um, Kaysen was born 14 months after Chase or 15, 15 months after Chase. Yeah, they were, that yeah. was my point. Really? And I'm not saying names yeah. on purpose. I want to make sure you, you're okay saying names. So yeah, yeah they sense. were 15 months apart. And I want to talk about Chase if we can, because mm -hmm. he had an injury. Your relationship with their dad was pretty volatile. Yes. And, and they are how old now? They are um, six, almost seven, and five, almost. So yeah, six and five. Okay, so they're six and five now. Just to give us kind of a time, it's always been a fairly off and on volatile relationship, and you guys are not together. There's a situation yeah. that happened with Chase before Kason was born. Right, he was very little. Do you can you go into that at all? Yeah. So during one of our um, I had, I had uh, asked Kevin to leave and basically he gave no option. He was taking our son with him. Um, I had the stable home. He did not, he took our son and moved into Anchorage um, to one of his coworkers houses um, where his wife, his coworkers wife babysat our son. Um, I had been fighting for to see Chase in court and on the sidelines really like affect like efficiently like every day, all day I was fighting to see him and it was just not happening uh, quick enough. I did finally get to see Chase uh, when I know when I got some time with him. Um, I had noticed that there were bruises on Chase's ribs and I woke Kevin up and I said, hey, Kevin. Um, there's bruises on Chase's ribs and I'm really concerned. There was some, his eyes just, he just wasn't the same happy little baby. And I kind of put that off as he's not with me. He was always with me. And I mean, Chase, Chase was the light in my life at that moment. I mean, Alana and Brooke were, but Chase came after a miscarriage. I really wanted a son and we really wanted to have a child and I really wanted to have a son and I really wanted to have a child. So having Chase was just this enormous blessing. Um, and so when he took Chase, it was super devastating um, for everything. And 
I, I told Kevin, you know, I'm worried about him. There's bruises on his ribs. Kevin chalked it off as he was like, maybe he got him from him playing uh, rough with Chase, like throwing him up in the air or something. Um, and I just kind of knew something was off. And I decided ultimately at that point that they needed to come home. And so I convinced Kevin to bring Chase home. Um, the night that I convinced him to come home, he would not let me keep Chase. Uh, he was taking Chase back to Anchorage and that he would bring him back in the morning or the next day when he got off work with all of his belongings. Uh, I remember walking Chase out the door that day and I followed him all the way out the door, which it was not kind of normal. I was supposed to be on bed rest with Chase and I followed him all the way out the door, just giving him kisses and just looking at him and just telling him I loved him. And the next day, I decided to take a lot of shopping in Anchorage, thank God. And um, Kevin had Chase in Anchorage. On the way to Anchorage, the roads were like glare ice. And I look over and there's Kevin. He got into a car or he got into an accident in his Lowe's delivery truck. And um, I was like, not, he kept calling me um, throughout the day. It was just kind of good and irritating. I just got to Burlington with Alana and my friend Carrie and Kevin had called me and said, hey, Casey, you need to, you need to meet me at the hospital. Well, I thought that he was messing with me. Um, and I was kind of irritated with him. And he was like, well, Chase, Chase fell and he got hurt. He fell off the couch and he got hurt. And I said, you know, in my head, I'm like, okay, a kid falling off the couch. Like, what are we looking at? Like a bloody nose, you know, I didn't think anything really horrible, um, but I got to the hospital which was thankfully only two minutes away from Burlington. Um, and I seen Kevin walking with Chase and Chase's little head was flopping. And I knew in that moment that he was really hurt. And I just got out of my car and I ran right into the emergency room and they had already taken Chase back, had him on the bed and he was unconscious. And Kevin said that he had fallen off the couch. That's what the babysitter had said. And I knew that that was not it. And I screamed at Kevin and I was angry, so angry. Cause I, in my head, I was like, either it was him or it was her. I knew somebody had hurt him at that point. And the nurses basically formed this line and like, spun me right out of the room to a chair at the end of the hall and told me that I wasn't helping and that I needed to calm down. So I did. Um, and then they took Chase to Providence from Alaska Regional. They took him to Providence. And um, at that point it was confirmed that Chase had multiple fractures to his skull and about 70% brain damage that his brain was bleeding um, and they didn't 
tell me that he was probably going to die, but they were preparing me and preparing Kevin. Um, they immediately took him back into tests and he was completely unconscious. Um, or he was in a coma. Um, they prepared us for all of it. Uh, as the day went by, they did another test. His brain swelled more. Um, and they had debated on doing surgery to open his cranium, but thankfully he had all those fractures, um, which gave his brain room to swell um, so that the brain wouldn't become more damaged. Uh, so as his brain swelled, the fractures opened up his skull. Um, we spent about two days I was in complete haze waiting for Chase to decide if he was gonna stay or if he was gonna go. And I'll never forget the moment he woke up because they told me if he woke up, he probably wouldn't be able to walk or talk or he wouldn't function. And I remember when he woke up he took his little hand and he put it on my cheek just like he did when he was nursing. And in that moment, I knew that he was there. I knew that that was my son. Like I knew that he was mentally cognitive and that he knew who I was by the way he touched me. And I just lost it. And they tried to like tell me, no, no, no. And I was like, nope, nope. He's good. He's going to be okay. Um, and he made an amazing recovery. Um, he was only about yeah. a year old. This was about was five years months. ago. Yeah. Yeah, 13 um, months old. And you were pregnant, very mm -hmm. pregnant. Yep. Um, there has been a lot in the last five years with him. Yep. Um, he's hilarious when you talk to him. I know. Yes. So- there was a lawsuit, yes? So um, the investigator, after several interviews with the babysitter, she eventually admitted what she had done. Um, she she pled guilty, and she only served six months in jail. Um, we did not ultimately decide to sue her, although that is not off the books completely. So okay. we're still resolved and he does talk <laughs> and he does walk oh no, man uh, <laughs> that's what, yeah they right where right where he's so she she threw him six feet into a piano bench um i mean to fracture a skull is a pretty big deal and it was multiple yeah, times so it was multiple yeah he had a complete crown fracture like that went from one side all the way around mm -hmm. um so he hit right here and that's where the speech uh, lobe is. And they suspected that he would have major speech delay and all this stuff. And whew, I'm ready to walk into that neurologist's office and be like, why don't you sit with him for two hours? <laughs> he does he have, res there are residual <laughs> issues though. He gets super overstimulated. Oh, so what are the issues that he struggles with? Uh, so he has like major impulse controls, just typical tra traumatic brain injury. 
behaviors, uh, impulse control. He does grind his teeth. He has major behavioral issues. He's hyperactive. Um, he has some bolting. So he like runs away. Um, he likes a lot of sensory things. He's very sensory oriented. Um, one step direction. Um, you have to really work hard with him. You know, from the moment you walk into the door, Hey buddy, take your boots off. Hey buddy, you know, put your backpack on the table. It's like every step of the way working mm -hmm. with him every day. But while you were going through all of that and it was still very urgent, you had Kaysen. Yeah. So what's the last five years been like? You have uh, Alana and Brooklyn, they're 17 and 14 now and six and five. What, what has life been like? Um, ha have you gone off and on the system? You're living on your own. You, I know you have fought for your independence and you have mm -hmm. custody. Mm -hmm. I do. Um, I have custody of three out of four of my kids. Um, and then shared custody with uh, Brooklyn's father. Uh, it's been really like a lot of learning. Um, my parenting skills have changed a lot um, to being this overprotective, like crazy mom to, oh, they're humans and they need to be able to make mistakes and do their life and it's okay. Um, I had such, I was super like wanting to make sure that Alana and Brooke broke the system, like didn't go into it, didn't, you know, never even batted their eye at the idea of public assistance or anything like that. And I, I, yeah, it's, it's been up and down, um, but we have remained pretty strong as a family, me and my kids. Um, there's been times where our relationship has been broken and it comes back stronger. I text Alana. I'm just laughing because Alana's like, uh, she's texting me so much. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was mean, like, oh yeah. It's so funny because we, you and I, we talked about in the first episode, together how like OCS set up a pattern of how our communication hasn't been as great and I flew up to Alaska once and you came down here last summer and like we we've acted for 17 years like we're desperately fighting to get back to each other and yet there are ways that we could just like <laughs> FaceTime and stuff like we're making it way more difficult and that also was an interruption with my grandkids you know as far as um, they don't, well, the first two were born when I was in Alaska and they don't necessarily remember me coming and they know who I am, but like, it, it's just been these gaps in what should have been the best part of our relationship, which mm -hmm. makes me sad. And now when I text my granddaughter, she thinks it's too much. She needs to get herself together. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got some questions, girl. Um, at least I've met, like I've met three, three out of four remember meeting me at this point for the most part. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, what a wild ride, huh? 
yeah it's been pretty wild that's for sure it's been pretty and you did kind of get the family you wanted so did i in a very backwards way not at all like anticipated and you know casey one thing i definitely want to end on is that you have done a really incredible job because i told you when you were pregnant with alana like your life is going to change in ways you can't even imagine because you you can't and it did and it's been super challenging and you, I'm, I'm just so proud of you. I have definitely worked hard for where I'm at. I'm actually officially completely kicked off of like food stamps and they're about to kick me off of Medicaid because I am so self-sufficient and I have my kids and Delana is with me all the time and Brooklyn will return. Yeah. And so I, I feel good. And I, you know, my, my biggest lesson that I've learned lately is that I don't have to have a guy to have a family. Mm. I have a family and that consists of you and my siblings and my kids and other people that have been put into my life. Um, along the way. That is a perfect place to end. Thank you for sharing your story. Of course.